You're listening to Talking Threat Intelligence, a podcast dedicated to uncovering the new challenges of today's threat landscape. Each episode, we connect with some of the world's leading practitioners to share stories from the front lines of corporate security. And now, on to the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Talking Threat Intelligence, sponsored by LifeRaft. I'm your host, Robert Ballew. And joining me back on the show today is my good pals, Scott Walker and Carlos Francisco, co-founders of Corporate Security University. Gentlemen, welcome on back on the show, and thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Rob. Thank you, Rob Bailil. <laughs> you got to figure yeah, it that out. Was a good Started attempt. that off right, Carlos. <laughs> This is going to be a bit of a different show, and we're already off on 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 that kind of foot. Normally, like long-time listeners know, I like to kind of have a specific topic in mind. Today, we're just going to rattle off on a a bunch of different themes. I think the overall theme is going to be the future of corporate security and where that's going. We're going to be talking about like AI, drones, maybe 2024 elections, all kinds of crazy stuff. But anyway, guys, why don't we just dive in? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Uh, Scott, I'll, I'll start with you, uh, but both you guys recently had an article a couple of weeks ago in Security Management Magazine, and you guys were highlighting that the retirement of the baby boomers and the, and the changing workplace demographics is as one of the biggest, I guess, challenges uh, for, for corporate security over the next, say, five, 10 years. Yeah. Why did you guys put so much emphasis on, on demographics? Yeah, I really can't beat the drum enough about this issue because it's going to significantly, I think it's going to significantly impact our industry. You know, we, with what we're seeing and to kind of recap for listeners that aren't aware, um, we are losing one of the largest generations in world history. Um, and this is definitely not a U.S. problem. This is a U.S., Canada, North America, uh, Eastern Europe, France, China, uh, Japan, definitely South, uh, South Korea, China uh, problem. And so what we're seeing uh, is the baby boomer generation is aging into retirement. The youngest baby boomer will retire or will be retirement eligible 65 um, by 2030, which means it's already started, right? We're already starting to see this. And I think we're the, the big kind of um, over the hill push was COVID-19 and our response or, or many of our government's response to lockdowns and then not allowing people to go back to work and things like that. So that uh, progressed a lot further. It also implemented the, hey, you can work remote thing. And, oh, we got that to work. Well, maybe we keep doing it. Unfortunately, that impacts a lot of our industries. And, when, and one of the main industries that, that we've been talking about is how does it impact corporate security, right? And so I think there's really two things that are, are interesting to talk about here. One is... Baby boomers, which traditionally have held the top roles in corporate security. So they're the CSOs, they're the senior managers, senior directors, um, and they have tons of experience. They have been, to Carlos's point earlier, they've been through the Cold War, they've been through the war on global war on terror, and then they maybe even survived the pandemic, right? Now they're, they're, they're like, forget all this, I've seen way too much, and in their lifetime they're gone or they will be gone um, and they're, they're, they're aging into retirement. So um, then the next generation, our generation, Gen X, is a smaller, a much smaller generation. Fortunately, big generations have big generations and the next generation behind that is the millennials. 
Gen X is not big enough to fill all these roles that will be empty in the very near future. And we're talking everything from our internal security teams to the our security vendors, uh, technology security vendors, guard force management, everything is going to be impacted by the loss of this generation. So Gen X can't fill yeah. it, right? Now the, the millennials are starting to come up, right? They had a really rough start in the in the mid 2000s with the, when the, in, at least in the US when the, the bottom fell out of the market and they had been told by their baby boomer parents or maybe even uh, silent generation parents to go out and get that really expensive college degree because you need it and that's the only way to survive and then they get out of college and no jobs right but they finally they're clawing their way up there and they're going to be they're young people they're technology centric uh, the good thing is they have kind of a nice mismatch between uh being technology centric and being social uh, they know what it's like to play outside until the lights come on and so they're, they're really good at teamwork um but what we need from them is you got to have that experience because you millennials are going to take those top roles. We're going to have 20 something and 30 something CSOs. Let that sink in. I'll pause for a heartbeat. It's a really interesting thing because, you know, you're stopping at millennials. We, we talked about even Zoomers, right? Which are after millennials. I mean, they're, they're going to be coming yeah. in and they're going to be stronger than ever uh, when it comes to a lot of things. But it's like the chicken and the egg kind of thing because you look at, um, is the technology going to take over? Therefore, we don't need the human beings or we're not going to have enough human beings that we need the technology. Right. And, and Rob, that's kind of like where we're living these days. And it's really interesting because, you know, he's talking about kind of the, the ageism of people, the aging population, you know, but there's a lot of other things that go along with that. So migration and globalization, you know, there's a lot of movement on, on the, the populace uh, going into that influences the demographic in a place. And that's a lot of changing. I mean, we hire a bunch of um, Russians and, and Chinese and Indians, right? And there are a lot of them are coming to America and helping us with a lot of our technology. But the earth is also getting old. So we might have to deal with environmental factors. So, you know, that comes around, you know, people say, and not to get political, like this climate change thing, like we all know that the earth goes through a lot of cycles, right? Are we at that time now because the earth is getting older and older that we're going through one of those cycles? So, so that's really another thing that, that, you know, Scott and I talk about a lot. Um, but all of those things come into effect, even with urbanization. I mean, look, why are we going to need more technology and what we're doing? Well, a lot of people are going into these tier two, tier three kind of cities. You know, you would think that back then everybody wanted to be in the San Francisco, uh, New York kind of places. Now they're moving back, you know, to cities like Columbus, Ohio, which is kind of like a tier two secondary city or or maybe even a more of a, you know, a rural cities that are around in those places because you can do business. And by the way, I'm in a data center world. So we're constantly moving wires across the country, which is bettering everybody's Wi-Fi capabilities, right? So that helps, by the way. Thank you, Data Center Industry, uh, for bringing um, a lot of uh, fiber to, to places where it didn't exist before. But anyways, man, so many things. And we keep on going on this stuff, man. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I was taking down a ton of notes there from that conversation. So there's like five different ways that we could we could go next. One of the things I, I want to I just, not so much push back, because I agree with your guys' thesis, but I'm just going in, I'm thinking of like, what listeners might be thinking right now. And I've been hearing, like, I know I've been hearing about the retirement of the baby boomers impacting everything since, 
I started university, like it was always coming down the pike. It's always this thing. It's, it's going to be an issue in the future, you know, and it's like, okay, yeah, I'm hearing you. Is this like a long-term issue? Why do I need to really worry about it? Like, like Scott, tell me like, why, why should I start being concerned about this in 2024 versus like 2030, 2035, where it's kind of vague. It'll be over by 2030, but we, if we're just starting to to be worried about this, it's too late, but um, the, this was always going to happen in the 2020s. It's just math. You know, we just look at our demographics and, and um, if you're counting your demographics appropriately, uh, like North America does, not like China does. They undercounted their their population. They're actually going back to recount it. Um, they went back in November and are, are recounting their their census or redoing their census. Um, but they were they were off by about a hundred billion. Hundred billion so, Hundred billion. You know, uh, or hundred million. Sorry. Well, a hundred million. And you want to talk about a hundred million in, in numbers? We rarely talk about this, but it was part of our study when we put it together, Rob, when we were talking about these. By the way, we don't just sit around and talk about things. We actually go and do yeah. the research. Yeah, we actually do the research. And one of the things that, no, you know, we actually it's go really and research. weird to talk about, <laughs> but this this piece that Scott just broke down, and, you know, he won't say it, but I can't because I'm a little weird like that, but fertility rates. Why we got to start worrying about this right now? This number that he's talking about, 100 million, right? Is, they were yeah. off 100 million. But fertility rates, we don't know. The big cities now, fertility rate is going down. Births are going down. We don't know what right now if kids are being born at 21, 22. They might be running a company 22, 23 years from now that all of us are working for, right? Those rates are dropping too, man, in, in cities that, you know, that are developed, countries that are developed, right? Underdeveloped countries, that's actually the opposite way a little bit. But, you know, right. that all influences. And that's what we care about. We're looking at the, the spectrum as a whole, man on what, what the, what's going to do to our industry. Yeah. Well, it's a global, it's a, it's a global economy. That's why. Right. And so we as security professionals have to understand global supply chains and where the markets are. And and no longer can we say, we're not going to do business with X company or Y country. And, you know, I know there's an embargo against Russia, but you know, they're still trading partners. We still trade with them. Right. So we, we in corporate security are usually left holding the bag. Hey, how do we figure this out? How do we, that, you know, um, how do we allow us to do business there? But to Carlos's point, you know, these studies of, of um, uh, the UN did a, did a study a year or so ago in regards to where fertility rates are going. And should we be concerned about that? I don't know that there's much we can do about it, yeah. but we need to be aware of it because this goes to our global candidate pool. Right. Where are we going to find candidates if we're going to be the, yeah. the secure, corporate security leaders of the future? Where are we going to find these global candidates? And do we need to say uh, we need to spread our our searches more broadly? You know, Carlos and I do a lot of work with our veteran community and our, our law enforcement, public safety community for their transition to the private sector. And that's a, a one area to, to bring folks into. But we need to to what I always say is act locally, think globally, right? Don't get stuck in this. I need to find a person in Carlos's point, Columbus, Ohio. Where's that that perfect unicorn person in Columbus, Ohio, right? And that's that I think going to be our challenge. We should be thinking about where people are going. How are we going to bring them into our our organization and make them successful, even if they're not the per- perfect person. Lord, man, it, you know, and Rob talked about making him successful, and he touched on a point that we also cover, is that a lot of law enforcement folks, military folks, come in 
to our industry. And we're going to rely on a lot more of them in the future, right? And one of the things, because we, we cover and we care so much about those folks that are in the emergency services side of the house, or the military side of the house, are they getting the mental health necessary? That's a whole other like podcast yeah. that we can do, but they're going to be coming into our industry, right? Are they ready mentally after what they've suffered, right? Especially in the past three years in law enforcement, military, God, forever and ever and ever and every little wars and nick and cranny that, that we find ourselves in. But those are the folks that are also going to influence influence a lot. There goes my Portuguese, right? You see how that just came straight up? Uh, are going to influence, influence a lot of what we do uh, in, in our industry. So, man, there's so many things about the human aspect of this, right? So... Well, I just think like, you know, we've had this huge millennial generation that kind of came through the university system. So when we had the baby boomers, Gen X, millennials, and this massive labor force, companies didn't have to really ration or, or, or think too much about recruiting. There was so yeah. much talent out there. Well, now all of a sudden we got we got Gen Z coming in very, very tiny. And to, to like you guys were saying, they're not they're not going to be there to, to replace all the all the baby boomers that are leaving. Well, now we, we got to start looking at at the people that we have as a scarce resource. That's right. And, and it's suddenly, whoa, when, when something's scarce, it becomes a lot more, more valuable. So, guys, why don't, why don't we go into some of the solutions that you guys were talking about or some of the things that security leaders should be thinking about that you mentioned in the article? Uh, one of the, the, the big things that you guys mentioned right away was investing in, in technology and automation. And, and this is going to be absolutely essential going forward. Uh, I don't know, is, Carlos, do you, do you want to start with this one? Yeah, we, we talk about uh, cognitive technologies that, that are going to argument our human decision-making. And, um, and I think that's where it's going to be. It's those technologies that are really going to allow us to be faster, smoother. You know, a lot of people ask the question, and we've gotten this before multiple times, Scott, like, what, how do you feel about our friend Chad? You know, Chat GPT. And, yeah, and right. you know, we, we usually say, it's a hell of a tool. It's an incredible tool, but you have to know how to use it. You got to use it properly. I mean, for Scott and I, we use it and we're open about it, but we use it to kind of give us a direction where when our minds are really bogged up, like, you know, give us the direction where we go, but then we take our knowledge and we build upon that. Right, Scott? I mean, that's kind of how we roll. We're the experts. Yeah. Yeah. Ch Chad is going to pull it from, you know, a language model somewhere in a data center. Uh, but what we tell folks, and we were just talking about this, is is uh, with, with a client. With, you're you're the expert. You know, you got to know. Yeah, sure, use Chad to help figure out that roadmap. But you're the expert, so you know what is real and what is not, or what is just you know kind of an algorithm spitting something out to fill in a blank. Um, but you've got to be that that SME. Yeah. And what we're looking for, Rob, is really real technology, not the fake AI, right? Everybody, everything is AI right now. So when Scott and I, through Corporate Security University, we go into a place trying to find a technology that we enjoy, that we can stand behind, that we can work through, a lot of it has to do, is it fake AI or not? Is it real machine learning or not, right? Or is it just five, 10 extremely intelligent people in, in a back office, right? Putting everything together and then uploading as a software to, to some hardware somewhere. So for us, it's looking for that technology that is true, you know, uh, generative AI kind of stuff, which, by the way, you know, data centers are getting heavy on right now. Their data centers are being built exactly just for that. It's amazing what the future of that's going to be. But 
if we can get those those tools that can really help us with like predictive behavior analysis and anomalies for real, for real, not some pixality on a camera system that changes, not some movement, right? Like the reals. That's where Scott and I deeply get into into like let's find that unicorn and let's stand behind and let's make it happen and we look for it every day. One of the real cool things that we were talking about, guys, yesterday when we were fleshing out topics for the show was, you know, like we're talking about the baby boomers retiring, but, you know, they still have lots of great skills. They're still there. Uh, Scott, why don't don't you talk to me a little bit about that, about like what are ways security leaders can still harness the talent that's in that organization and maybe why they should be thinking about that. This is one of my pet peeves. It's the, the, oh, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Uh, Yeah, you can. And COVID proved it. Because Graham Graham went to church in Zoom. So, and she has an iPhone now, and she knows how to FaceTime, and she knows how to order pizza from Alexa. So, did it turn on? No. Okay. Mute that. (laughs) Turn on everybody's Alexa. So, upskilling and reskilling is really important, right? So, we, if, if folks want to stay in the industry, we want them to stay. We need them to stay, really. Um, and if we can upskill them and reskill them, those are, those are two really kind of different things. In addition to our human resources needs to get smarter about how to use people. We were talking about your dad yesterday and how he's an SME in data center and IT. And wouldn't it be great if he wanted to work eight to 12 hours, 20 hours a week, right? Maybe he doesn't want a full-time job, doesn't need a full-time job, just wants to be there to mentor these millennials who are now finding themselves already in leadership roles with, uh, I talk to journeyman folks all the time and they say, oh yeah, it takes, you know, five to 10 years to learn how to do this trade, whatever it is, this thing. And I, and I said, well, what are you doing now? Cause you don't have those folks. And they're like, yeah, it takes like half or a quarter of the time. And so you're putting people into decision-making positions, perhaps where Previously, they relied on their knowledge and experience and really good mentorship um, that brought them up. Now they don't have that. It's gone. So can we bring folks back and retain them in a part-time consulting contract way? Or if we can't and they want to work 40 hours a week, can we upskill them and reskill them? I think you can. It's just going to take, and this is where Carlos is talking about AI, it's going to take the ability to understand where you have gaps and where you have needs, and then leveraging that AI. I, we talk about this with Corporate Security University all the time, which which is the kind of the future of education will be these quick cer- certifications or certificates or quick learnings that we can give somebody where, where we've talked with clients and it's like they want big, you know, I, I, my, my eyes are bigger than my stomach and I want all these things. And, and what we are finding is that people want shorter, faster. Just give me, give me the answer, man. Give me the answer. That's all I want. You know, I Google, Google better spit out. I don't go past page one. <laughs> Nobody goes past page one. <laughs> That's it. Right. Give me the yeah. answer. I need it right now. And with generative AI, it's doing that, giving you the answer. And we can tailor these learnings to these folks. So if you have somebody who is older, they don't necessarily, you know, I, I hate this, this, the stance that, oh, I'm not a computer guy. I don't understand computers. Uh, yeah, you do. You carry a, a computer that's faster than this. what was put into uh, the, the lunar lander um, during the Apollo missions. You have something that is that can calculate on your wrist. You have something to calculate better than 
than what was used in the 60s. So you can do it, but nobody tells them that they can. Nobody shows them that they can. The pandemic helped, right? The pandemic pushed us all out. And then you had to take your laptop home. Uh, Pop Pop had to be on Zoom, you know, eight hours a day. And then Graham Graham learned how to go to Zoom church. We did it. We survived. Most of us survived. <laughs> so, um, but we've, we are evolving as a, as people and we are understanding technology better and we need to continue that. Exactly on the opposite. Oh, go, go ahead, Carlos. I was going to say exactly what he said, right? If it's not, if all of education and security in the future is not like a, a YouTube style of education, it's over. It's done. I honestly think that in the future, you, yeah. you will find at every yeah. university or school, college, whatever the case may be, you know, it's going to be that even back in the days, thank God for YouTube for getting me through calculus, you know, at, at, at college, at university. So, uh, I mean, come on, it, it, those things are all happening and it's going to continue to happen. It's not going to change. But um, yeah, there's just a lot of human stuff going on. We, we, I mean, we haven't even touched about like gig economy where you think those things are going to go because we're humans are working like these side gigs, like there's no tomorrow, right? Yep. Security is going to start doing that as well. Why do I have to go work for a security company if I could do these gigs everywhere doing different things as long as I'm licensed? Like, there's a lot of future changes that are, uh, we also think the industry needs. But yeah, I digress. Go ahead, Rob. I want I, I, I want to get one more thing in on on the demographics point because we still got a few other things I want to chat about. But on on the opposite end of the spectrum from from the baby boomers, when I'm thinking about even even younger than Gen Z, and this is a problem that I I see in the industry as kind of someone coming in as a bit of an outsider is, you know, when I think about what the general public thinks about uh, private sector security, it, it's no, and no offense, guys, but it's like mall cops. It was the, the Amazon Prime movie, the, the weird loss prevention officer kind of dude. He was a really weird dude. Like, and, or, or people just don't even know that this profession exists. And then I'm thinking like, okay, we have such a scarcity of like Gen Alpha, whatever the next one is. There's so few of these kids that are going to be coming into this that coming into the workforce in the next decade or two and every industry is going to be fighting for talent like if you're tradespeople, you're going to be wanting to get your your hooks into them early if you're you know university you're going to be fighting for those people trying to get people into your your particular stream like i what what do you guys think the industry like this might be too broad for private like a security leader at a company right now too far in the future but what do we need to be thinking about as an industry for getting our our Hooks, if you were, maybe that's probably not the right way, but getting younger, uh, younger generation thinking about um, security as as a profession. Well, yeah, I mean, I could kick it off, man. A lot of it is really educated about the industry as a whole. Look, a lot of people didn't know. I mean, I didn't know until I got into the industry at 19 years of age what it really was. I actually thought I was just going to go be a bouncer somewhere and that's going to be the bouncing. I didn't know about all these wonderful aspects of the security industry. And if you're a little tech savvy or computer savvy, you should be getting into it like security systems. I didn't know this thing really existed, man, when I started this thing out. I think a lot of people still don't know because we focus so much as physical security as like uh, human management, you know, not so much of the security systems. I tell everybody when I speak, you know, I'm a a board member of my university, University of Central Florida, go Knights uh, on on their – criminal justice department, I tell kids all the time, I said, look, if you're going to focus on something and you want to do something different with your criminal justice degree than what it is, focus on two things. Focus on the security systems piece of it and, and the the uh, cyber side, the computer side, right? A lot of quantum computing stuff. We can cover this a little bit later, blockchain security. Anyways, so 
what I try to do is to educate them on what this, the industry really is. Cause a lot of them did like I did, I thought I was just going to go bounce somewhere and then there was nothing else after that, but I created a, you know, a career out of this. And by the way, a very lucrative career, I think, you know, that um, when I, I share with some students, if they ask how much I actually get paid, they're like, no way, you know, but, but it's true because they don't know about it. So, okay. Education is the first piece. Get them really excited about what we do every single day. Is, is a piece. Change the mind of folks. Like you're talking about these movies. There are plenty of movies out there, by the way, where the security officer is actually the hero. Uh, so you just got to go find those movies. Um, but yeah, uh, starting with the education of what the industry really is, what corporate security really is, which entails a lot of investigations, right? Intelligence, you, you know, the old SINT method of, of simple, I call it simple investigative tools that are available to us, right? Though you can't get on the dark web, and so we, we know that there's some. Anyways, but what I'm saying is that give them the idea of what it is, asset protection, and what asset protection, the technologies that are in there today to be able to help those things. And like tell them blockchain asset protection is going to be coming in the same way that blockchain is used today to keep inventory. You know, you might want to get into that type of security in the future. It won't be so much of asset protection per se, but it will be a computerized way of doing asset protection. Give them that, those ideas of what the future of security is going to be. Like, be a freaking thinker. You know, be a futurist like Scott is all the time, you know, and like, just think of what can happen, right? And then you're going to get kids excited about our industry. Scott? I'll just kind of pivot on that. I mean, I totally agree. We have to demystify to this new generation. The good things about this new generation that are coming in, Gen Z's, Gen Alpha too, um, is that they are obviously they're the first generations that are, have been only online. They don't know what it's like to stand up and change the channel on TV, right? And walk, change the channel. Imagine it. If they're listening, they just have to imagine it. They don't know how to make a phone call from a rotary dial phone. They don't know what a phone book is other than what's on their, their handheld device. So those are good things. Those are not bad things. It is, it is an aspect of their generation. But they would rather be in their mom's basement coding than they would be out and being around other folks. Not everybody. I'm just making a generalization. So how do we use that uh, for good in corporate security is, to Carlos's point, many of them aren't even aware that this is an industry and that you can go out there and you can do these things. They take it for granted because it's always been part of their life. They've had a camera on them since they were zero years old, right? So cameras are not a not something they don't understand. They absolutely know what it is. And when they want to go find information out, they, they just pull their handheld device out and they ask for the information, right? They don't know what a Thomas Guide is, uh, let alone a GPS. Um, so those are all good things. Their ability to learn and scale is way faster than anybody else. But where we tend to have challenges is we still think corporate security is not IT security and IT is not security, but it's all together right now. Every, every single one of our applications or, or our appliances on is on a net and we can see it. And the only reason we can see it is because IT lets us see it, right? Unless you have, you build your own systems. So, um, we, we can go to those folks who, my son's a cybersecurity student, and we can talk to them about corporate security is a thing. 
And you should consider that as a potential for your career, being on the security side of things. And I think once we do that, we'll have a lot better um, uptake in that. But if we aren't talking to them now, which very few organizations are talking to these these younger folks, um, because one thing's for sure, they're not going to go be the police. That we we've seen that we've we we've seen the trend away from be, being in law enforcement and the military for that matter. Every recruiter that I ever talked to from the military and law enforcement, I asked them, "How are your numbers?" The Air Force guy looked at me the other day, a couple of months back, and he went, "They're okay." For an Air Force guy to say they're okay is not a good thing. He should be done with recruiting halfway through the year. That's that's the goal, right? After Top Gun came out, I, well, that was Navy, but I'll let it pass, Rob. You're okay, not American, yeah, but that's okay. <laughs> It's still planes. It's still planes in the military. Yeah. So, but but interestingly enough, Top Gun in the '80s was a huge driver for the Navy, Um, and and that's just the reality. Media drives uh, these things. And to Carlos's point, we gotta we gotta keep putting us in in a a better light. Um, And the the job for uniform security is not getting any safer. By the way, we just had um, um, security guards recently, uniform security officers who have been. Uh, gravely in, injured while they're doing their jobs, um, which you know may entail observer report, maybe more than that. But you know they do carry weapons, some of them, and and this is this is why we have a society where law enforcement won't respond; they just won't, um, not in the ways that they had in the past. And uh, if that's a you know that maybe a choice thing, it may be that they just don't have the people. That's what I tend to hear: is that they just don't have the bodies. Um, so, you know, we've got to make this a positive thing in these young people's lives. Man, you just, you just hit something up, Scott, too, man. I was just on my mind because, you know, why do we always have to pick people from the same kind of school of thought, right? It's like, if you want to go get people that have to go and actually go out and touch other human beings in the future that are not this computerized, like my kids, right? And can yeah. I just buy five minutes on the iPad, please? Like, kid, you're four years old. Get, get out of the iPad. Go play outside, right? But anyways... It's like going to industries that we usually don't go into. And Scott and I talk about this all the time. But one of the best security officers I ever had was a server at B-Dubs, Buffalo Wild Wings. You know, and he was like the best people person, understood what was going on, understood how to get to the end to make sure the customer was happy. Right? Like he already had on his mind while he was working. Why not open up our industry if we're going to educate young people, right, to come into it? Open up the industry to like these customer service-based industries, that I think they would be amazing and, and they, they, you know, they know how to go into an incident or a crisis and, and be able to fix it, right? They're thinking very operationally all the time. We're going to have to do some of that too as well, Rob. Open up our minds. You, you know what's interesting about that, Carlos, too, is this, this newer generation is very comfortable with technology and they prefer to work with technology. Yeah. So if you can put something in their hand or allow them to do a thing that flies a drone maybe – you know, and I know we'll talk about this, you know, in, in, in the future, but those kinds of things, they like, they want to be around technology. If yeah. you just said, here, stand and watch this door, a baby boomer would be, thank you for the job. I appreciate you. I can pay, I can feed my family, right? Because back then you could feed your family on the wages that a security officer gets, right? But now you, this generation won't do it. They just won't do it. Or if they'll, they'll do it for a couple of weeks and then they'll be gone. Right. So we need to give that you got to figure out what what drives them and then what do they want to do? Well, most of them want to work with technology and they're going to be looking for those opportunities where you put in your job description works with technology, works with cameras, works with badge readers or 
or drones or whatever it is. Yeah. Yep. All right, guys, I want to flip the conversation now to another big thing that's happening in the, the future, which is really more here now at the present. Artificial intelligence. This is something I read on CNN. Companies are struggling to deal with the rapid rise of generative AI, with some rushing to embrace the technology as a workflow tool, while others shun it, at least for now. Many prominent companies have entirely blocked the internal use of ChatGPT, including JP Morgan, Northrop Gumming, Apple, Verizon, Spotify, and Accenture, with several citing privacy and security concerns. Business leaders have also expressed worries about employees dropping proprietary information in the ChatGPT and having that sensitive information potentially emerge as an output by the tool elsewhere. So this is what I want to ask you guys. What what side of this one are you on? Are, are you seeing this as like a big opportunity? <laughs> are you seeing it as a massive security risk and telling everyone to hunker down? Like what, where, do, where do you guys come out on this one? Uh, well, uh, yeah, I'll, God, I'll, I'll kick this one off. First of all, <laughs> the, the, all those companies that you just mentioned, like I think about 70% of them are like old school companies. And a lot of them are semi-quasi-governmental companies, you know, and like Oprah <laughs> that had breaches. Like 23andMe was never going to be breached. Get out of here, man. You got everybody's data. Somebody's trying to get that. In. Anyways, but um, what I'm saying is that, yeah, man, I could see those companies saying, hey, you know, hell no, we won't go for now on those apps. I think they're missing out on a lot of things. You know, I currently work for a company that were very heavy in the generative AI. You know, that's literally, I think, the true AI. It's, it's kind of that. People talk about it. It's like that. It's a true meaning of, I think, machine learning slash AI mixed in together. That's generative AI. Like, forget about machine learning. You know, that's that's what it does. And that, like I said in the beginning, that's why a lot of data center companies that are involved in AI, true AI, are building data centers just for the speed and the, and the, and the, the mass uh, massive uh, memory that it needs to just run those continuously. So, yeah, are they missing out? Yeah, they're definitely missing out. Now, I'll tell you where we're going to be missing out. If security companies or the security side of the industry doesn't accept those because of some kind of governmental anti this, that, that, and the other thing, we all use Microsoft. Guess what ChatGPT is attached to? Okay, we all use Google A. Guess what, ChatGPT? It's like you're not doing yourself any favor by not using. We have to give access to these companies just to get the everyday done. So I think you're making a total mistake. But here, here it is with the security side of the house, and I'll, and I'll pass it over to Scott. Is that if we don't jump on this bandwagon right now, you know? And I, I didn't mean to get to it now, but I'll do it. Uh, we're going to be missing out on the quantum, quantum computing, you know, that's going to be in within ten years. We're definitely going to be missing out on anything after that. So the ability for us to go in and like really work through the process like the ecc elliptical uh, elliptical curve cryptography like that's that's almost garbage now and it's going to be garbage very very soon because we're not using generative ai to learn from and become more secured right so we're making those mistakes right away here's a couple of things the rsa encryption that we use like for emails right now and all that stuff right i mean those are starting to become garbage and very soon, it's not going to be just the InfoSec stuff where, hey, just click on this thing and I'll get you into your email. It's going to, it's going to be a lot more than that. So if we don't, as, a, as people, embrace what's happening, we're going to be behind the ball. We must, especially in the security industry, must be early adopters of this kind of stuff. Or we're going to be behind the ball. 
when they start using the blockchain technology to infiltrate things and, and we're not using blockchain to use it, like I said before about asset protection and be able to block things and people from coming in, that's going to be a problem. We should always be in the forefront of any technology so we can fight it before it gets here. So, well, let me, let me ask you this then. Like I had, I had a uh, Daniel Ben Cheatree on the podcast from authenticate a while back. And, and he had a, he had a big opinion on this one. And he, what he was saying was, like, look, you can you can ban this on the company's network, but your employees can still use it on their personal device. They're still putting this stuff in, you know. Like, they, if if I got to go write like a, a big report, and like write ten thousand words, I'm using ChatGPT now on my personal device. It just is. And so his thought process was, look, you're either number one, you're going to be losing a big competitive advantage if you don't use this stuff. Number two, your employees are probably using it anyway, so it's better to be proactive and train these be- and train your employees rather than just saying like, no, 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 don't do that, don't do that. So I don't know, like, what what are your what are your thoughts on that perspective? What what was his name again? We got to say it one more Daniel time. Daniel Ben Chitri. Hey, I love Daniel already, but if we if we're not sitting around like really creating some kind of like um, some kind of like predictive way of protecting our on the cyber side, on the physical side, we're, we're failing, okay? So he's totally right, 100%, because all I have to do is go to chat DPT, copy and paste it into my email, email it to my work, you know, and I'm using it at work the next day. Like, it's totally BS that they won't do it. And don't you want to know exactly what your people are doing on a work computer instead of not? And I think that's what he's trying to get to. It's like, I'd rather know and be able to create some kind of like a trusted uh, security ecosystem around me then to not allow for those things to happen, you know, and now we're, we're stuck running behind the ball. That's what I'm saying. We're going to be stuck behind it. We must, I mean, honestly, I mean, a lot of us, again, come from law enforcement, military. I mean, that's like so backdated sometimes that you're like, oh, my Lord, come on, get out of that. So we do got to change that mentality, man, for sure. So, so guys, kind of brought it out from, from ChatGPT to more AI in general, one of the things that you guys mentioned when you sent over your prediction piece for our 2024 predictions roundup post at, at LifeGraph on the blog, you mentioned that you're really concerned about social media and deep fakes driving a lot of false narratives online. Um, can can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah. Well, first, let's define what a deep fake is, because I think there's a lot of well, a lot of people just aren't aware. But this is any time where you have either authentic video or video that's been corrupted or video that's just completely been made up because everybody can now go to Bing and say, create a, an image for me and it'll just create it. Uh, and, and it's not a real person, although it looks like a real person. So technology is getting better in that sense uh, to help leverage um, deep fakes, which is your neighbor, uh, you know, throwing a cat across the room, that never happened, but somebody can go in there and create that to happen. Where, where we think, I mean, we're going into an election year here in the States. So what we think is going to, a lot more of this is going to come out. Um, you're going to have pictures and images and audio of people saying or doing things that will influence the election. I, I saw a poll that said, um, you, you know, almost 100% of the security researchers think that there will be interference uh, from uh, uh, some type of deep fake. So we're going to see this. We're also going to see this in corporate security for, for that matter, because it's becoming economized to a point where you can just pull this, this software off the shelf and you can create it. Any of us, we don't, you don't have to be a hacker, you know, the, the wear a hoodie and, and only type in green letters. 
um, you can um, now get the, this stuff from GitHub and anybody can go out and do this. We're seeing this. I was just on a, a podcast uh, with or on a, a briefing from ICS2 and, or ISC2, and they were saying uh, revenge pornography is going to be quite uh, significant. Um, I shouldn't say pornography because that that is an indication that there was that it was uh, something they agreed to. Um, but the that term revenge porn is something that we're going to see uh, also leveraged there. So you, we're just destroying people's lives that, that are had no intentions of saying and doing these things. Additionally, this is why you see so many law enforcement agencies using body cams, right? And all, almost everyone is using these things. And they push this body cam footage out really quick uh, because they know that there's been a public outcry for, hey, where's the transparency here? So it's going to start affecting, you know, the, the, our presidential candidates here in the States. It's already been quite an issue, but in corporate security, we're going to see this in real time where you get a call from the CEO and the CEO says, hey, go run down to the 7-Eleven and, and load up on green dot cards. I need to give them to investors or something, you know, it'll be, and it, boy, it sure sounds like the boss and the boss told me to go do it and I'm going to go do it. Uh, th those things that, ha that have been happening, Carlos mentioned it earlier, which is called business, what we call business email compromise. We're going to yep. see that those same tactics just applied with deep fake. Um, and, and so, you know, I'm, I'm on a, a deep fake task force um, where I, I give my knowledge and experience to Interpol and we are putting together a great um, go-to guide for law, international law enforcement to go out there and really understand how do we enforce these things? How you know? Because the question and hackers uh, or, or hacking has been a challenge for a long, long time, which is attribution. Where was the what jurisdiction uh, is involved in this situation, and how do we stop it? So this criminality that is going to be occurring is going to be quite broad. And really unregulated or, or at least unchallenged uh, for the most part, because it's hard to say where things started. But there are a lot of good technologies coming out. Uh, Cyabra is one of them. Uh, if you haven't looked at that, take a look at it. Uh, Cyabra uh, looks at Internet posts or, or social media posts and tries to track and trend them. Where did they start? How did they begin? Who who was the first one to document this? Who was the first one to push it out? Um, and that can help us understand um, how things are flowing in social media, uh, because that's where the deep fakes are going to end up. And they're going to, I mean, they have ended up already on CNN and Fox News and all the major news networks, but it's more prevalent in the TikToks of the world. Yeah. And I'll tell you, Rob, with um, deep fakes, it's not just that. It's like today, we already have a tremendous amount. I mean, the numbers have, numbers have gone up in impersonations. Numbers have gone up in takeovers, account takeovers, ATO. all those other things, which which is funny because the more and more and more executive of companies are, are, are accepting that social media is the way to go, and, and they are even getting more and more involved in social media, the more and more and more deep fakes are coming out uh, about them. The more and more of the simpler impersonation and the account takeovers are coming out of it, you know. Scott knows this. I've helped a couple of very close friends of mine and family members just on my side with the company I work for on removing those impersonations and those account takeovers. And those are happening more and more and more, which, again, it's going to be a lot easier with quantum computing if we're not getting on top of it, you know, using the uh, future of the cryptography if we're not getting on top of it and blockchain security if we're not getting on top of it. All of these things are going to make it easier and easier and easier for deepfakes to happen. And we're just not we got to get ahead of it.
Well, and to your point, Carlos, about yeah. deep or um, account takeovers impersonation, um, impersonation being somebody's pretending to be somebody they're not online. You know, Carlos helped me and my company with one of those issues. Uh, and so those are um, harder and harder to one detect and to to take down because, well, Carlos can't say this, I can. Um, how do these big social media companies uh, make their money? They say they have this many daily active users, monthly active users in the billions, and then you know give us more money so we can keep building to the next B um, and next billion. And so you to to allow more to be on the platform, you reduce your trust and safety folks. Um, and and while trust and safety is a relatively new term or relatively new career, it's, it's vitally important. Um, we saw this when Musk took over Twitter. We've, we're seeing this as uh, Zuck is reducing workforce earlier this year. So the investment just isn't there because they want the numbers. Um, I always say they want the friction. They want the churn. They want people online arguing because that brings eyeballs, right? Um, unfortunately, it also costs people a lot more than just a chat you know, or, or a post. Yeah, this is exactly why people need to get on generative AI right away. So it, it understands that that is a deep fake. Yeah. We won't allow it, right? That is not real. We won't allow it. That's an impersonation. We won't allow it. And the system itself blocks it before it comes in. You know, um, so all, all these things are in. But here's what a lot of people are not doing. They're not even looking at their own social media and see if there's copy and pastes of it out there. Like people are not even thinking about this. You know, like search yourself every once in a while and go see what's out there, right? You may, I may have a Carlos Francisco that does exactly what I do, but only talks badly about our wonderful industry, right? Like, I don't know, but I mean, hey, so a lot of people are not doing those simple things, Rob. So we got to, we got to get ahead of that. That's my bot. There's a, there's a, I have a Carlos bot. There's a, yes. yes. I, want, I wonder what the Scott Walker <laughs> bot is doing online what kind of mischief he's getting up to but yeah i think and 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 like you guys have been saying like the it's so important i think to be using this technology now and seeing what it's capable of because that's where you kind of at least from my perspective develop that kind of imagination of what the risks could be or, or when you start encountering this stuff online um i had a, i had an interesting conversation one time it was after that titan disaster uh, with the titanic a couple of months ago and uh, there, there was an image going around on, on TikTok of the, the video game controller online that that uh, a friend of mine showed me. And I was like, well, that's just an AI image. Like, right. uh, like how would they get that image, right? And it hadn't occurred to this person because they're not even really aware yeah. of what this technology is is capable of. And so just just starting to get to use it. But I've been, I've been blown away of how much things have changed. Like I wrote an article on the LifeRaft blog uh, I don't know, nine months ago, 10 months ago. And I was talking about like, oh, here's how you can spot an AI image just yourself, right? And in the images at the time, yeah, they looked okay. They looked real-ish, but there was a lot of issues with it. And now that article is so outdated. Everything is like, there's so many, so, they're so polished. They're, like you you need technical uh, software to figure out what's what's real and what's not sometimes. But like, probably by 2025, it it'll be imperceptible. It'll be imperceptible. You will not know if that's a video of you or a recreation of your family member. You won't know. You won't, you won't be able to distinguish the audio. I mean, this is the old grandparents scam, and it's not that old. It's relatively new, but it's an adaptation of that. The grandparent couldn't tell that that wasn't little Jimmy calling them in real time. Well, now it's going to be somebody who sounds exactly like little Jimmy. 
calling you in real time. So this is where, you know, having the next generation of firewalls or something that uh, antiviruses that we're going to, we're going to need to be able to detect that, that real, those real images. And uh, I, did, did you guys see that Joe Rogan, Justin Trudeau yeah. interview, the fake <laughs> yeah. one? Uh, that, that was hilarious. <laughs> it was good. It was I mean, good. even awesome. even when when uh, um, oh god, uh, uh, oh lord, Tesla, uh, Jesus, Elon Musk, Elon. When Elon right was on stage and he's he's talking and his voice is changing like the actors that are popping up and as he's talking about this new thing, I mean, it's amazing what's going on. But I do have a question for both of you guys, maybe for Scott because I know you were involved in this on that OSINT process that that's available to everyone. Is there, you know, I've used a bunch of like different picture stuff, like Google images or something like that. I go mm -hmm. back and see if I could search the images, right? Is, is there one right now for kind of deep fakes like that where you can do a quick search and be like, yeah, now deep fake? Yeah, I, I, off the top of my head, I, I, I would struggle to list them. But yeah, there, that's the big push right now is how do you wow. identify them, right? I mean, there's way to Rob's point earlier, there's ways to look at them and say, oh, well, that guy has or that image has four fingers, not five, right? And there, there are little things that it does that AI doesn't quite put together. Um, so the, that's yeah. the ch real challenge, I think, is uh, I think we need yeah. these companies to be out there developing it. I don't know, Rob. Uh, there was one, I think it was, I'll, I'll, I'll go find this Bellingcat. I was reading this article, Bellingcat, about how to identify if it's an AI image. I think the app was like allai.com. I'll, I'll go awesome. research it and, and okay. put, put the notes in Great. and you just, you, you, you flip it, you upload the image and it tells you if it's an AI awesome. image or not. Yeah. And so there's, there's a tool like that. I'll, I'll go find it. And uh, I'll put it in the, the description. And I want to say, Rob, it, it had a, a percentage that it could confirm that it was or was an AI, right? Uh, and and that's really what what they're they're doing right now is they'll say, yeah, we think you know to some X percent that it's it is or isn't um, a real image. I I know they're doing that with like uh, generative AI, like written stuff for yeah. sure. Mm -hmm. And yes. I'm not sure how reliable yeah, it's been. Exactly. Like because like I've seen stuff like stuff I've I know I've written without ChatGPT and it's saying it's AI and then the opposite where I've used ChatGPT <laughs> for some serious stuff. And it was, it was coming back like, Oh, this was human written. And I'm like, no, no. that was not yeah. human written. But, but I, I don't know how reliable they've been, well, but I know there's yeah. some coming here's, out. Here's one thing that's for sure. If it's free, then you're teaching some other AI. That's it. Well, and, <laughs> you know, and, and, and it's free to load. And Rob, what you don't know is that your name is short for robot. So oh, no. there you go. So that's why when you type things, automatically it goes, yeah, no, that's a computer. That's a robot. Rob, right? Just throwing it out there. This whole podcast, I might just be like a really sophisticated AI, AI bot for life rafts. <laughs> awesome. Canadians are very sophisticated with AI. It could be. You know, maybe it's not even a real country. Maybe it's just all been bots to just make something. We're getting way off topic here. Uh, Let's let's go. Let's go to another uh, another topic that you guys mentioned in the uh, prediction roundup post. Another topic that you guys highlighted was the 2024 elections as as a big issue that we're going to be facing next year. Uh, why uh, why did you guys highlight that one? Yeah, for for me, and I think I, I uh, mentioned that it was the top risk of 2024. And you know, look, everybody wants to say cybersecurity is a top risk, and it is. It's been the top risk I think probably for the last ten years, and nobody's doing anything about it. But 
Um, because you know, in the United States, uh, at least we have the elections coming up and, and, uh, with what's going on in Israel and Gaza, we, and by the way, what's happening in South America right now, um, we are going to see more, more, uh, friction there, people wanting to come out, wanting to be heard. Um, and then of course, as there always is their whole march or their whole protest will be subverted by the Antifa types, um, and they're going to come out and, and uh, start to cause damage. And that's my big concern is that um, corporate, you know, first of all, law enforcement is not ready. Law enforcement will let your business burn uh, if it doesn't work into their plan to disperse you, disperse them. So um, we, we saw this in, in riots in, in uh, um, Oakland. We've seen it in Los Angeles. We've seen it. And what, by the way, some of the most advanced approaches to quelling civil unrest um, in the nation are in the on the West Coast. I'm sorry, New York, you don't win. Uh, LAPD does. So and and I've seen them form a skirmish line and the the crowd is going one way and they're just destroying everything and the skirmish line doesn't move. So it, it just you you don't have they don't have the resources to muster to do the things that need to be done um, perhaps to protect everything. So because of how we're, we're becoming more divided um, as a as an, a United States, um, at least politically, I think we're going to see a lot of people just wanting to be heard, um, and then those protests will be subverted. And this is what we saw uh, during the COVID nineteen pandemic. This is what we saw in the late 2010s um, with uh, different movements around uh, law enforcement use of force. So I think twenty twenty four that's going to be a big risk, and mainly because uh, law enforcement doesn't have the capacity to deal with it as much. So if, if a lot of things are kicking off in a, in a, in a town, that's usually what overwhelms uh, law enforcement is that they can't respond to everything. We had this in the LA riots, by the way, in the 90s. It is nothing new. It is just, it is what it is. And, and so I, I, that's my caution to corporate security professionals. Yeah, I, I'll add on just a bunch of other stuff that a lot of people already know. We've been dealing with it now for a couple of years, but I think it's become more perversive as technology starts to evolve, which is what we just talked about. Uh, the impersonation piece, right? The deep fake piece, the uh, the constant um, uh, misinformation pieces that are going to be out there. I think this is going to be at a whole different level. With Trump coming back in, that just creates a whole pot of, of fun times uh, I mean, you can already see with the uh, DeSantis getting involved in in the stuff, and uh, the Democratic side of the Democrat side of the House really trying to figure out, you know, it's Biden in out. Is he going to run? Not going to run? Who else can we get in there? This is going to be a fun one. It's going to be a fun one for a lot of uh, infosec per people, cybersecurity folks, um, the AI folks that are in social media, right? Social media companies that are constantly maneuvering. You know, one of the social media companies that I work for, possibly, um, you know, I'm really proud that last election, I think our numbers were at 98.4% of automatically shutting things down that the AI picked up as negative. So there's some really positive stuff that's working. And that number is only increasing, right? With Again, we're putting a lot of money into generative AI, so it's only going to get better. But yeah, and technology keeps on getting better. So what are we doing to make sure we're combating that? So it's going to be a real fun election 2024. It's, it's going to be a good one. Yeah, I like that answer, Carlos. Like just a lot of like specific people or specific like roles in the security industry that might be impacted. But then like Scott, like you're saying, you know, even if you're you, you don't think you're kind of involved with this kind of stuff, you're just like, I'm doing my business. If things get really dicey. Yeah. 
then then you need to be aware of it. I think of like like we've seen this with the Israel Palestine conflict. It's like okay, that's that's far away. Why do I need to pay attention to this? I don't do business with any Israeli companies or anything like that or anything like I have no no one on our company is ever have traveling there on anything. Yeah. I have nothing. But that all all be true. But if something is popping off down the street yeah. where there there's a big there's a big protest that could disrupt your business, then that's still stuff that you need to need to be aware well, of. Well, remember when um the Israelis were accused, and this is only a few weeks ago, they were accused of sending a missile into the courtyard or the parking lot of a, of a hospital killing. At first, it was hundreds, right? And then we literally have um, these uh, peace advocates that uh, are in the country or in the area that are saying, no, nah, that was a Gazan or a Hamas um, missile that was misguided and, and came down on the hospital. So, and I'm not uh, for or against any of these things. But what I'm saying is that we had a huge uptick in uh, people protesting in very violent ways. Um, and it, you know, it hasn't slowed down. And so what I, I think what we're seeing, uh, and I'm trying to study and understand this a little bit better, but what I'm reading is that the tactic has changed for these protests. What, what once was a peaceful protest or started out as a peaceful protest that that was uh, something that law enforcement knew about and that they had gotten the right permits to march and all these things has become, we're just going to show up wherever we want. You're not going to know. And then we're going to start gluing ourselves to stuff. Yep. And I saw this happen in the port of Oakland recently where there's a military sealift command vessel. And those are the vessels that, that carry ammunition and trucks and tanks and stuff all around the world. And by the way, not anywhere near or, or giving any kind of aid to Israel, um, Port of Oakland, uh, protesters got onto the port, uh, got onto the vessel and were hanging off the Jacob's ladder. And that's the ladder that goes up the side of the ship. And the Coast Guard had to come and, and try and keep them off it, but they were doing their you know nonviolent protest, but that was incredibly disruptive and uh, potentially a pretty significant security issue because now I think the vessel was empty, but uh, it could have had lots of military munitions on them. And they do these rushes too, where they'll rush the stage as, a, as somebody who's not even involved in the situation or, or in any kind of aid or support to Israel or Gaza. And they'll, they'll rush it, banners out. Security folks don't know what's going on. This happened to a friend of mine who works as executive protection. Her CEO was on stage and somebody rushed the stage to protest these things. And so we're seeing traffic being blocked on freeways and highways. The Bay Bridge in San Francisco is just blocked. Um, you know, people are gluing themselves to the street um, so that they have to, uh, you know, cause all these disruptions. And that's something that that really is a becoming a security issue. Uh, that that yeah, sure, it's a law enforcement issue, but are they responding? Are they handling it? Their response is let them protest so that they don't riot. That's what that, I don't know if that's a good answer, but that's what I've been seeing. Yeah, no, but I was man, you, you got me at on on that. You know, criminality, the age of criminality is becoming sh smaller and smaller, like younger and younger. So it's really funny. Right. I remember when I was a cop, you know, in the little time that I was a cop, I, I remember the, like 15 year olds, man, they, they had no fear. They had no fear. And the funny thing is that now, funny, I mean, tragic thing is that they're getting this information through social media and everything else a lot at a younger age now. So, and you're extremely, you know, impressionable by 12, 13, 14, 15 years of age. So what you're seeing a lot of are thefts, crimes. I mean, the kid just got shot, 13, a uh, 12-year-old kid just got shot trying to, uh, to to rob a car. 
uh, here in the U.S. last week. And, you know, the guy is an off-duty, off-duty cop, shot, shot the guy, shot the kid, not knowing. He just thought he was getting robbed slash his vehicle being taken away. But it was a 12-year-old kid that's been arrested four different times already for car theft, right? So it's getting, they're getting younger, younger, younger. But I think it's because they're so easily impressionable. They can see all of this information that's coming through the screens for them. So that's another real threat, I think, you know, as we're talking about to to – the future of crime and security and what's going on yeah. is that these young, these young kids are super impressionable. They're seeing everything and they're starting to do things at a younger age. So a uh, negative things at a younger age. So I don't know. It's a whole other thing, Rob. I, I and, and the point I'll add too that, that we've seen in on, on our side of things with, with the protests is you know, just the huge risk right now with counter protests where you yeah. have two groups like Republicans, Democrats, the, the Israeli-Palestine thing, that's two, con, you know, contentious groups. And it's it's fine, you know, the, a normal protest happens, everyone's doing their thing. But when you got two different sides facing off on the same square, maybe beaten up or whatever, that's when things can get really dangerous. I think about uh, my, my fiance, she was, uh, she got an email from her work one day, there was uh, an LGBT group with, um, I don't. I don't know how it's controversial. I'm gonna call what, what I'm gonna call the other side because anti LGBT or concerned about what's being taught in school, whatever their position yeah, yeah. was. So the issue is you got these two groups facing off. They might be that, that it didn't turn everything. Everyone was peaceful. Everything was fine. But now you got employees walking through that. So even yeah. if you're a company, you're like I don't. I don't care about these issues. That's not. That's we're we're apolitical. We're just focused on making the money. But your your employees got to walk to work or get to work somehow and these things might be happening. Well, so, I'm Rob. I'll uh, throw another one in on you here in the United States. We have armed protesters. I lived it during the last presidential election. I, I volunteer as an Arizona Ranger. And, and um, there was several instances where we were involved in supporting our law enforcement partners and the protesters, half of the protesters, because uh, we had counter protesters, half were very well armed and half were not well armed at all. And I'll let you guess which side of the aisle they wound up on. But, um, you know, how do you, we had to keep everybody cool and calm and we had to go out into the crowd and we had to tell uh, some of these folks who were carrying uh, better firearms than I was and, and more deadly firearms. Hey, you need to, to point the barrel at the ground. <laughs> You're flagging everybody, you know, just like work with us here. Um, and you had to keep everybody calm and you had to de-conflict and you had to de-escalate these things. And again, our law enforcement partners are, are spread too thin. And how do we do this as, as corporate security professionals is going to be very telling um, because, you know, in, at least in the United States, they're practicing their second amendment right. And that in many States is, is their right to keep and bear arms and to open carry as um, you know, I'm not going to get political on here, you know, but it is a challenge for corporate security. I, everybody's getting emboldened, in, emboldened, uh, emboldened, the, you know, yes. emboldened. Good, thank you very good much. Word. And yes. that's, and that's the problem today, you know, and the last thing I'm going to say when it comes to security, um, right here in Oakland, right, right next to our house yesterday, the teachers, the teachers, uh, of Oakland decided to do a sit-in in, on behalf of Palestine. Now, you know, half of the community is Jewish community over there in Oakland, especially in the Hills of Oakland, there's a lot of Jewish people. But even they're so emboldened that government people are emboldened to do a sit-in and the government, I don't care who you like. It doesn't matter to me. My kid needs to go to school. They need to be educated. 
I don't care what your beliefs are, you know, and, 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 and the, um, the commissioner of schools here, the uh, uh, superintendent of schools says, don't do it, right? They did it anyways, and you know that none of them are going to get fired, not in California for sure with tenure and everything else in the school education. But they're so emboldened, even government people now are doing these prescribed sit-ins or whatever they believe, and nobody's doing anything about it. Everybody's so afraid, man, to say no. That's a no. And now you have to pay for it, like I do to my four-year-old kid, right? That's a no. Go to your room, right? Bad behavior. Go to your room. Anyways, so. And what happens when the employees do the same thing, Carlos? This is exactly. Yeah, they want to have a sit-in in the cafeteria. And, and I'm sure this is, you know, this goes back to the ESG agendas, right? And how do we, we balance uh, both sides of, of a, a hotly contested issue and we allow for this kind of dissent to occur, but safely in, in our, in our uh, work community, if you will, um, security needs to be part of that, that, that discussion, right? Um, HR always is, but, uh, security is always that afterthought, like, uh Oh, we, we allowed, uh, the pro-Palestine group to, um, meet in the cafeteria. Now they're, they're chaining the door shut. What do we do? Call security. Wait, security didn't know about this. God, great, great point. <laughs> great point for all the corporate security leaders that are out there, right? If you don't have policies that are strong enough and, and to, to set a, a precedence within your company that states that those things will not occur here. And if they do, that's a policy. And then you have to, by the way, stick by them, right? You can't just write a policy and be like, yeah, you know, let that, it's not, it's, it's, it's not that big of a deal. We'll let that, what yep. happens exactly that? Well, you let one group do it, guess what happens? You got to let the other group do it. So make sure that we are part of those policy writing, like you said, with our legal folks and our HR folks. Make sure that we're in there with them. Make sure those policies are making sense. Yeah. I, that's outstanding point, guys. Because like I said, like some of these things is like it's on the other side of the world. It's not like, you know, what? Hey, still implications, big implications at all the companies uh, where, where uh, security leaders are working. Uh, Carlos, I want to talk about this thing that you said recently at the data center world conference in Austin, spending monopoly money is like a game of chance. Spending corporate physical security money must be a calculated risk managed carefully and based on data, not Hollywood fantasy. What did you mean by that? Yeah. You know, that's a great presentation on really what physical security in the corporate industry should be like. It shouldn't be based on, by the way, great movies. Ocean's Eleven is a, is a great one. Any 007 style of movies all the way from back in the days uh, till to, to today, right? Uh, Mission Impossible, all great movies, but obviously they're movies and they're movies for a reason because they really get our imagination going. But uh, just like Star Trek and Star Wars, I'm a big fan of them because, I, again, just like our, my, my friend here, the futurist, Scott, I, I believe that a lot of those things, the futurists talk about, you know, obviously they've come to fruition, but they're still going to. It's not like, you know. But anyways, uh, what, what I meant to say is that every decision that has to be made cannot be made just because of an operating manual that you might have worked with when you were in the military or law enforcement. You know, it's very easy for somebody to come in from the military that might have been like, Department of Energy or something like that. Anywhere, you know, with all of the, with all those quasi-governmental, governmental pieces, they use like the uh, those uh, NISPOM operating manuals or on the power side, NERC-SIP, you know, NERC operating manuals. I said, that's what we're going to do, you know, but that's not really what we need to do. It has to be risk-based just like a business. So you have to risk avoid if you need to, right? Risk accept if, if it's good to go. Risk mitigate if you need to do good there. Uh, risk transfer, right, to insurance, 
one of the biggest things that we forget to do in the, the, if we come from military and law enforcement, because there's no such thing as a risk transfer. Like you, you can't just move that to insurance. Can you? Oh, hell yeah, you can. Absolutely. But anyways, so we fail a lot of those things and we need to stop doing that. We're heading these huge corporations and we're putting, it costs a whole lot of money to run security. Pick those things that are important and they, you know, they will keep you out of liability sake. Always think about liability. How do I keep my company out of liability? How do I keep us from that lawyer's office? How do I keep us from paying out more money than we should? That's where we're at, right? And in the data center world, what's important to us really is our our certifications, our compliance needs for data, right? We got to deal with GDPR, SOC, SOC 1, 2, uh, PCI DSS if you're using credit cards, right? So think about those things that are important to the business. Look at where you are. Do a real real assessment of risk because our data centers are like in Altoona, Iowa. They're in Los Lunas, New Mexico. They're in Prineville, Oregon. Like There is a nothing there. Right. So make sure all the decisions that you're making as a security leader is risk based with the company in mind right? and liability. Not so much of what you may have gone through when you were in theater of war in Afghanistan doing security for the Department of State in one of the the, the embassies or something like that. It's totally different. you got to be risk based and it's got to be a corporate risk based. Not automatically what we think in security is what is the risk, but like in the criminality sense. Right. right. It's more of a business sense of what that is. So that was really my answer to that. So why why do you think sometimes that people maybe from a, a law enforcement or, or a military background might kind of struggle with a lot of these concepts like you said like risk transfer and and the the, the risk assessment that's important to, to the business why why do you think maybe it's that they, they struggle sometimes with that concept uh, for me for me is that everything that you do in law enforcement and military is always to the nth degree like you're thinking about everything in the nth degree. Where in the business side is like, how much bang can I get for my buck all the time? It's like the opposite way of thinking, you know, and a lot of times just doesn't fall in line with that. Not only that, but like in the military, Department of Defense, you get a whole lot of money to do the things that you need to do. And because DISPOM says so, well, they're going to cover that regardless of what it is. Where in a corporation, the margins are thin, Rob. The margins are thin, and every time you take away as a security leader from from the company's from the company's side of making money, right, from stocks going up, what you're failing as a leader, you're not being a good steward of your your own corporation. You have to be a business. People ask all the time, "How come we're not in the C-suite? Security's barely ever in the C-suite. How come they didn't want to let us on that big desk, man? Come on, I'm a director or I am a VP, but I'm never the chief. Like if you look at most chief security officers, they're not true chief security officers, especially if it's a traded company. They're not. And the reason for that is because they rarely think business first. In order for you to sit up there for the board to believe in you, you have to be extremely business savvy. And we don't tend to come with those things, you know, like we forget even at those higher leadership positions, how to have soft skills. My Lord, you know, we're still thinking we're in the FBI, CIA, telling people what to do. It's like, whoa, buddy, slow down a bit. Uh, Scott's got a lot more on that, too. That's an institutional problem, like what you're saying with the FBI, CIA. You know, when you get, they start hiring their own folks that you, they used to work with, their battle buddies. And then now you, that's your culture in your department. And what I always say is how many organizations um, that pride themselves on our executives are very well rounded and they, they work in all these different areas of the company. Uh, where's one place they never send them. They never send them to corporate security because it's a very dynamic 
workspace, not because it's bad um, or it's toxic. It's very dynamic and it takes a specific skill set because when happened to me, a building blows up in Tianjin, China, we're the folks that are running the, the crisis. You don't want your marketing person who's like trying to think about the impact to the brand and all this stuff, worrying about those things over human life. When we're going, we need to get somebody downtown to the building to do an assessment and make sure everybody's okay. Because the last camera footage we had out of the building was the domes were upside down on the floor, right? And that's and then the feed cuts. So we need to make sure we, that our, our people are okay. Um, that's what corporate security folks think about. Um, that's why there's a good translation between our military and law enforcement partners uh, coming into the private sector. But to Carlos's point, they've never run a business. And they just want to hire. I'm going to hire. I'm going to hire Joe and I'm going to hire Susie. And I had this great ASAC that I worked with, and she and that person's getting a job. And I'm going to have a, a director of intelligence and a director of counterintelligence, and they're going to be doing separate things. It's like no, you need one person who can do all of those things. Well, that's not how we did it in the bureau. Well, guess what? This isn't the bureau. You're going to China. You're going to Russia. You're going to go get boots on the ground so you can assess the risk to our, our business there. You know, that's something that a lot of people, especially our local law enforcement partners, are very uncomfortable with. I'm not I'm not going to travel internationally. Well, that's where we do business, partner. We're, we're going all, all over the place. So you better get comfortable with this is an international business. I, for one, stepped in it uh, with our, our partners in China, specifically around uh, counterfeit merchandise. And when I was talking with our legal counterparts in, in China, when I worked for a tech company and, and I said, yeah, that, well, I'm glad you're working with us because that's where all the counterfeits are made. And the, the line fell silent and, and nobody said anything. And I was like, oh, there it is. Found it. That's why I tripped because I forgot that we're one company and, our, and we have business partners in China. We have business partners in the United States and all over the world. And so we, we need to get away from this. Well, I don't talk to the Chinese are our enemy or our Russians are our enemy, right? You, they're the enemy of your government, maybe, but they are our business partners. And we should never forget that. And I, I just want to emphasize that we should never forget that we have business partners around the world, people that are doing good things that are not members of the CCP, you know, that are not in Putin's regime, um, that we need to remember that, uh, that are struggling themselves with what's going on in their countries and be empathetic to that. Yeah. Um, another thing, and, and I want I want to go back to uh, to, to what, what Carlos was talking about in his speech, and, and one of the lines, Carlos, that I love that you were talking about was uh, worrying about like Spider Man coming in through the roof, <laughs> or worrying about, and you had some great research, and like like so much of the uh, of the risk assessment that's sometimes done is you know these like crazy outside risks that, that you see in the Hollywood movies like this would be the first thing i would think of after watching star wars or something yeah. like that but it's not not the realistic threats that that businesses actually care about protecting themselves from can can you tell me a bit more about yeah, that yeah like i said in corporate security university we do research stuff man we don't just talk about these things like you know i'm just going to get it out of my head and, you know, we did. We did some research on really what was going on in data centers when it came to crimes and what was going on from the outside world coming in and even internal stuff, cybersecurity stuff, all these other things. And when I focused on physical security, Rob, I realized that there's very little to no crime at all 
in data centers. And we went back years upon years upon years of research. We could barely find anything. And I was able to find a couple of incidents that happened here and there, right? Uh, nothing big. And they were very specific because, uh, you know, none of these places had a fence line. None of these places had access control system, really. Uh, they had no, no, no standoff space or anything like that, man. So, like... That's, you know, that's what happened. One of them, the three out of, I think, the seven incidents that I found since the lifetime of data centers were the exact same group out of England doing the exact same thing, right? And they got caught. Uh, one of them was a deer that broke into a data center in Oregon, which was hilarious. There was a, it was a funny video to see security officers running after a deer inside of a, like a data hall. Um but that's what it is. We in security need to stop doing that. I know a company today that is testing water cannons in their rooftop facing the sidewalks. Okay. I, for a fact, Rob, I know this. So it's like, what threat are they seeing that has made them spend that kind of money in a corporation? Once again, learn business. One of the biggest transition pieces that I could tell people Learn business. You know, when I wrote my book, and I, I don't even want to bring up my book, but when I wrote my book, one of the chapters is really about learning the culture and the business of corporate. It should be one of your first things that you do, right? And your first, I break down 30, 60, 90 days up to 120. Like, just be that listener of a human being and learn the business that you're in because it is quite different. But yeah, there's no such thing as you know, Spider-Man gone bad all of a sudden climbing into a building. You know, I, I make a joke of like, you know, dinosaurs are real and they really only like to eat people that work in data centers because they're the tastier, tastiest, you know, like, but it's funny because a lot of this movie stuff often gets incorporated on how we do security. And it is our job to edge. Even if you're like, well, by my CEO said something or this said something said, you tell your CEO, that, hey, I'm taking everything in. I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to go risk-based on this one. We'll make all the assessments, and we'll make the proper decision for us, for the company, uh, and and for our shareholders and our stocks and our bottom lines. We're going to do the right thing. We're not just going to be throwing money out, you know, for no reason. And then you have to educate them, pull up this data. Like, nothing happens at a data center. So, anyways, yeah. Yeah, I like. I, I mean, the... Uh... I think one of the first podcasts I had on uh, Swafa Kyakubu, and and this was his thing. He's like, you, you and he, he was more on the cybersecurity side, but the same thing with the physical. It's like you're not going to spend a million dollars to protect a hundred thousand dollar asset. That just makes, makes no, no sense. sense. Or we're going to spend millions of dollars on preventing a scenario that has a, you know, like with a. I think you mentioned bombing at, at a data center for the Amazon one. Like one in a million chance. Well, and the guy, and that's happening. the thing, right? Everybody talks about, well, but there was this one guy that was going to bomb a data center, you know, and I go, no, first of all, for three weeks straight, he was out there hollering. He was a holler, right? He's hollering that he's going to do it, this and that. Why do you think the FBI was able to sell him fake damn like C4 kind of shit? Because he was hollering the entire time. That's why the FBI... People that are going to do these kinds of things, and that's why Scott was right, the way that, that um, uh, these young people today are, are gathering and, and causing havoc throughout the cities, they're not talking about it. Nope. They're, not, they're doing it. And so anybody that does this hollering thing to me is, is hilarious, and people freak out about that. And they're like, oh, that's the norm. No, that's not the norm. The other guy that I added, I had to add AT&T. Uh, communications on on that chat too because I couldn't find any more data center ones. I'm like, well, at least AT and T moves data, so let's go with that. 
and the guy was so upset about five your arm out reaching on that well, one. Well, the guy, <laughs> while the guy was like, the guy was like, I hate five G telephone thing that's coming, oh, in, so yeah, I'm going right. to blow up AT and T in Nashville, yeah. Tennessee. Well, the funny thing is that a guy blew up himself the side of the AT and T building, messed up a bunch of business. He's the only one that perished in this entire thing. AT and T never stopped working, obviously, because they have. But that site itself was back at work in less than three days, fully operational. So again, you know, these things don't happen and we really have to be risk-based when we make our decisions, educate our, our C-suite on those kinds of things and really save our companies a lot of money and allow them, right, to return that money to the investors in return comes back to me. I, so just think of it that way. Uh, anyway, guys, Great chat, ran through a lot of cool topics there. Uh, now time, lightning round segment, <laughs> a new thing that we're trying out on the show. All right. Just uh, going to go and kind of the rules that we're kind of making up for, for this year with the new segment. Just going to kind of run through a bunch of rapid fire questions, try to keep the responses like quick 30, 50 seconds un under a minute. And um, I'm going to get a we'll, stopwatch for Carlos. Let's, let's, no, it's gonna, I'm going to get one for Scott. I'm going to be quick. <laughs> Be faster than you. Come with some kind of penalty if you go over though. It's like like what's that what's that show on ESPN where they got like the two minute thing, <laughs> the two minute uh, drill. Blanking on. You just got you just got to shock yeah, yeah, people, yeah. Rob. From now on, find a way to shock people. <laughs> just come in with the big buzzer. I need a soundboard. I'm not a proper podcaster <laughs> without a crazy soundboard. Like Jim Cramer, like Bulls Bears. Kind I'll, of I'll send you. Get. I'll send you mine that I have. I have a Zoom Pod <laughs> for it that has six sounds. I need, yeah, I'm going to look, I'm looking into that. I'm going to hold you up on that I'll one. sell you mine. All right. All right, guys, <laughs> let's jump in. Lightning round segment. I'm going to start with Scott. What is your favorite free OSINT tool? My favorite free one that I use almost on a daily basis is uh, Spy Dialer. Um, so, and that's where you can, and it's free. Uh, anybody can go to SBY Dialer, all one word. Uh, and it's made by a private investigator out of Los Angeles. You put your phone number in there or any phone number you want. You can do all kinds of searches on it. That's uh, my favorite. But also anything from Michael Basil, uh, Intel Techniques. Um, listen to Sandra Stibbard. She'll give you a ton of them. Uh, but those are my favorite. Pat her on the show. She's great. Uh, Carlos, what emerging technologies in security are you most excited about right now and why? Yeah, true, true companies that are working through generative AI stuff, not the fake AI uh, machine learning that we talked about. Um, I, I'm, I'm looking to those in the future to, to help us get there. Uh, I'm not seeing them right now, so I want to I want to give you an answer, uh, but I, I want to make sure that I do it properly. And right now, I'm not seeing anybody that is not doing anything that we've been doing in the past ten years for sure. And I, I'm working at it though. All right, uh, Scott, you kind of touched on this in, at the during the show, but I want to jump into it again. What's the most common mistake that you see folks from the public sector making once they break into the world of corporate security? Yeah, it's that whole thing of, I think I can just apply the same thing that I did for the last 20 years and, and said three-letter agency in the corporate sector. Um, by the way, that was me <laughs> in 2013. I, I'll just apply every, everything that that uh, we used to do back in on the job. It doesn't always fit. So um, my biggest issue is People in the public sector think that I need a door gunner, a door kicker, a machine gunner, or a sniper, or a SWAT operator, when what I need is somebody who is a critical thinker. All those people that I mentioned are critical thinkers. That's what I need. Don't put on your resume that you are a sniper. 
I do not care or a gunfighter. <laughs> we don't need those, but I need somebody who can think clear, <laughs> critically and laterally. There you go. All right, Carlos, what is a commonly held belief in corporate security that you passionately disagree with? I think I covered it up, man, is that we have to be <laughs> focused on business risk. Every decision that we make should be a business risk decision, not something that you might have suffered or went through in Afghanistan, Iraq, or, or dealt with in some kind of theater of war or have seen in movies and believe that it may happen. It has to be data-driven. All decisions must be data-driven. That's what business is like. That's what they want. Don't be that person that causes the, the business billions of dollars of security mistakes. All right, Scott, if you could give one piece of advice to a company looking to enhance their physical security, uh, what would it be? I think you got to invest in your security team, specifically your security leadership, especially for the long run now, as we're, we're, what we've talked about in the beginning of the podcast was we're seeing the, the, a generation leave the workforce. So start investing in those folks and, and retaining them because that team is what will get you to the next level or what will continue keeping your folks safe. Um, we see way too much people leaving after two, three, four years, and and there's not enough continuity there, which is, by the way, something that I uh, said opposite uh, years ago. We used to say, no, two to three years, and you should be moving on to the next thing. Right now, we need some consistency and some continuity. So I'd like to see folks investing in, their, in those leadership teams. Uh, that was a great answer. I was kind of, as I was asking, I was like, mm, that's going to be pretty vague. Like, there's so many different, you know, advice, but that was a great one that I think would apply to everybody listening to this. All right, Carlos, wrap it up for the lightning round. Looking ahead to 2024, what is your top prediction on how the field of corporate security is going to change over the coming year? I think we're going to have to be a lot trimmer, slimmer, faster, be able to do multiple things at the same time with less people every single day. And at the same time, we have to continuously and I think we will start accepting some of the technologies that are in place to make us better, faster, smoother, cleaner, efficient, whatever the case may be. And if we don't do that, 2025 is going to be a real tough year. I said it, and I said this before at Data Center World. Today, Data Center Industry is a $320 billion industry. By the end of 2025, it's going to be a $525 billion industry. By the end of 2030, it's going to be a $603 billion industry. That means that a lot of AI, generative AI, quantum computing is speeding up, right? So we need to start preparing, getting educated in 2024 for that in order to make 2025 and 2030 and 2033 beyond, like Scott and I spoke about, uh, a true reality where we can secure and protect all. All right, gentlemen, that was a great show. Um, why don't you tell uh, listeners uh, what you're working on right now at Corporate Security University? Uh, Scott? I, I think the interesting thing about what we're trying to do at CSU is is deliver quality uh, educational experience in uh, a shorter time frame, and that really that's hard because it's, it takes folks with a lot of expertise to to understand what the root of the problem is and and how to deliver that information. That's kind of thing one. So we we're building our core. Um, curriculum, and we we really do have um, kind of multiple lanes for folks. We've got folks that are transitioning, and what do they want to know? Then we have folks who are coming up uh, in security, and what do they want to know to be future leaders? And then what is we're not forgetting our officers that are actually in the the boots on the ground doing their hard work every day. What do they need to know? What do they want to know? Well, how do what do they want to learn about? And so we're building that out and we're trying to deliver it in such a way that it has value um, because you learn immediately and you learn the right way to do things. Our other thing is 
um, that we, we've got a certification program. And uh, we've been authorized by ASIS International that our, our program and our classes go towards CEUs for the great ASIS certifications, whether that be a, a CPP or an APP or whatever. So that um, certif our certification program, what we're trying to drive there is to get people to accept much more broadly their, the education that they have. A lot of these security companies have their own internal education, which is great for themselves. But what happens when that officer leaves? What happens when that supervisor leaves or that manager leaves? So uh, we want this to be something that they can take with them, that they can demonstrate their acumen, their, their knowledge, their experience. In addition to when organizations or corporate security programs have uh, enough people that, have, that are certified through our program, the organization becomes certified. And so, if, for example, if you're a security provider, uh, you can say we, are, we have a certain amount of our folks that are corporate security universities certified, and then their program becomes certified. And what you are telling your customer is we care about quality education. We care about customer value and customer service and delivering that in an appropriate way, de-escalation, all these things that we've been talking about on the podcast, which nobody else is teaching. Um, and if they are, they're teaching it in a silo. We want this to be much more broad and inclusive. So the the education is great. The certification demonstrates your knowledge and experience. Um, gone are the days when somebody could make a resume that looks amazing, and then we all believe it because AI is making these resumes, right? And so we need what what other value can somebody bring? And we think it's through education and and through. Um, brief classes that deliver a lot of value. What he said, that's it. <laughs> that's what we're doing, man. That's what we're doing. Uh, and I think, you know, Scott yeah. and I will be working on a book coming out soon. It's a third reiteration of uh, something that I work with, How to Conquer. Uh, my second book's coming out as well very soon. And uh, so we're excited about that as well. And it's all about educating folks, man, giving back and making sure that the security industry becomes better and better and better every single year. That's what it's about. And uh, how can listeners uh, reach out if they want to learn more? Uh, CorporateSecurityUniversity.com. Both Scott and I are on LinkedIn. Uh, you could do that as well. But um, if you're bored by CorporateSecurityTranslatorPodcast.com uh, is also available for you to message us. So all of those things are there to just get a hold of us. And yeah, let's chat. Let's start something. Let's create something, right? Let's make our industry better. Yeah. And be sure to, uh, I, I love the podcast. I've subscribed to it. There's been some really good episodes. I love the one where you guys were chatting about what happened at Katrina and stuff like that. Was that was a fun so definitely, one. Definitely. Yeah. That was a fun one. Uh, so listeners, definitely uh, check out the show after you're, you're done listening to this episode. It's, it's uh, really, really good. I think it was just a corporate security university and, and should show yeah, up. Yeah, just go yeah, to the podcast. podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and all the readers. Yep. All right, gentlemen, that was a great way to kick off 2024. Yeah. Thanks again for being on the show. I really enjoyed this Thanks, one. Thanks, Rob. Thank Thanks you, Rob. Appreciate you, Navigator, and everybody else that uh, putting the time to, to allow us to, to give us a voice to do these kinds of things, man. Thanks. Again, that was Scott Walker and Carlos Francisco, co-founders of Corporate Security University. Thanks for listening to Talking Threat Intelligence, sponsored by LifeRap. Never miss an episode by subscribing to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you listen to these episodes. And if you'd like more insights on building a successful threat intelligence program, be sure to check out our resource page at lifegraphinc.com slash blog. That's lifegraphinc.com slash blog. Hope you tune in next time.